Good morning. Today is Monday, April 5th, 2021. Last week, I had the superlative experience of getting the COVID vaccine. And I was flooded with amazement at the global cooperative effort that led to this point and flooded with gratitude for every single person who helped from research to getting it into my arm, every single person who has been part of this effort. And with tears in my eyes, I said the bracha, blessed are you God, King of the universe, Hatov Vametiv, who is good to me and who does good to others. Because every single person who gets the vaccine protects themselves and also helps to protect others. It's something that every single action helps not only ourselves, but the rest of society. <clears throat> and then I received the card with my appointment for the second vaccine, which is scheduled at the moment for the end of July. And I confess my mood went down, deflated. I would prefer to have the second vaccine according to the schedule of the data so far, which is three weeks or four weeks after the first shot. So I want to be very clear with you. I am sharing with you the feeling that I had. I am not an expert on this subject. I'm just sharing the feeling that I had. <clears throat> now it could turn out that waiting four months for the second shot is not a disadvantage at all. It's even possible that it will be even better for me. I have read, and again, as a lay person with no expertise in this area, but I have read experts on both sides of this question. And again, as a lay person, I understand the reasoning for the delay because it's better for society for more people to have some protection right away, even if it delays full protection for those people who got the first vaccine. In other words, and again, this is my non-expert lay understanding. From my personal point of view, it may be better for me to get the second shot in another two weeks. But from the point of view of society, more people will be safe and less people will suffer if my second shot is delayed. Now, it's possible that my understanding is an oversimplification and is not accurate. And if that is the case, please correct me. But <clears throat> on this question, Jewish law has something to say. In fact, Jewish law has quite a lot to say. There are many, many sources that deal with this. The subject of 
scarce medical resources and how to distribute them among a society is a subject that is covered at great length in the Talmud and in subsequent rabbinic literature, including in modern times, extensive discussion about this topic. And the first source that I want to share with you, I'm just going to share with you today two sources, but there are many more. The first one supports my feelings. Passage in the Talmud, famous passage in the Talmud, has the following hypothetical situation. Two people are traveling in the desert and one of them has a flask of water. Now, if they share the water, they will both die because there's not enough water to get them to a place of safety where they can replenish their water. If one of them drinks the water, then that person will be able to survive, to reach safety, but the other person will never die. So the question is, what should happen? Should the water be shared or should one person drink the whole amount? There's a scarce resource. Who should get it? So the Talmud says, Ben Petura, one of the scholars in the Talmud says, divide it. You share it. Even if it means that both of them will die, God forbid, but one person should not take an action that will cause harm to his fellow. How can I do something and then watch my fellow suffer because of what I did? Ben Petura says, share it. Comes along Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva. By the way, the same Rabbi Akiva who said that the most important principle of the entire Torah is love your fellow as you love yourself. However, in this case, Rabbi Akiva says, no. Chayecha Kodmin, your life comes first. You are obligated to do what you can do to take care of your own health before being concerned with the life or health of someone else. And most scholars assume that the opinion is like Rabbi Akiva. So that means like Rabbi Akiva, Chayecha Kodmin, my life comes first. My obligation is to take care of my life. And that means that I have the right and even perhaps the obligation to be concerned with my health and life before anyone else. And that means that I can and should do anything within the limits of the law, whatever I can do for myself first. The problem is that this source does not actually help with our situation. Because the commentators point out that if you listen again to the wording of this hypothetical case, two people are traveling in the desert and one of them has a flask of water. This case is talking about where I have my water. You don't have any water. So the question is, should I share my possession or should I keep my possession for myself? 
That's when Rabbi Akiva says, I have to look out for myself first. However, if the life-saving possession is not in my control, it's in the control of a third party, then this passage in the Talmud has nothing to say. It does not address this question. If there is a third party holding on to a life-saving substance and there are two people who need it, this passage in the Talmud has nothing to say about it and therefore it is not relevant to our question. What is relevant to our question, and this is the source that is quoted by many halakhic authorities, is the following source, a very different source. It appears not to have any absolute reference or relevance to our subject, but I'll show you how halakhic authorities understand it. In former times, ancient times, the time of the Mishnah, it was an unfortunate fact of life that kidnapping was common. And normally it was kidnapping for ransom as a way of earning money. So somebody, God forbid, would be kidnapped and a large ransom would be demanded on pain, of course, of death of the hostage. And the question comes up, should they pay? Listen to the words of the Mishnah. Ein podin es hashvuyin yoser al It is not permissible to pay an excessive ransom. So, first of all, this is a little difficult for us to understand. At that time, apparently, there was a market. There was a normal ransom fee, which was deemed acceptable. That was an acceptable thing to do. But then if someone asked for more than that, that was considered excessive and says the Mishnah, one is not allowed to pay that. Why? And by the way, I want to point out, we're not talking here about whether a government should pay a ransom or a society should pay a ransom. We're talking about an individual who has the money and whose loved one has been captured and they want to pay any amount. Listen to the words of the Mishnah. It is not permitted. We do not even allow the individual whose relative has been captured to pay this excessive amount, says the Mishnah, Mipnei tikun ha'olam, for the good of the community, for the good of society. Because if ransom is paid, especially an excessive ransom, more people will be kidnapped. And that puts more people in danger. So what commentators explain is, although this law may, God forbid, lead to danger on the part of an individual, it is a ruling that leads in general for society to be safer. And say the rabbis in the Mishnah, that is the proper approach. And this is the source that is quoted by most 
experts in Jewish law on this, on this question. A government can and must be concerned with what is best for the entire society, even if that is not what is best for me as an individual. I certainly hope that the vaccine's supply will increase, allowing for the second shot schedule to be moved up sooner than it right now is. And I hope that further research will show that there is no or very little disadvantage to the four month delay, but it is clear from Jewish sources that each government must base its decisions on what its experts describe as the best for society, not on what I feel is best for me. I want to wish everyone a very happy and safe day and I look forward to seeing all of you soon.